0: Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Left of Greg podcast. I am Brian Marin, the host and creator of the show. As always, I will be joined by human behavior expert, Mr. Greg Williams, who the show is affectionately named after. Here on the Left of Greg show, our goal is to increase your advanced critical thinking ability through a better understanding of what we call human behavior, pattern recognition and analysis. If you'd like to find out more about what that is, you can check out our website at ArcadiaCognorati.com or by following us on Facebook at HBPRA. Please help support the show by checking out our Patreon site where for just a few dollars you can have access to all kinds of episode extras, videos, and short tutorials that are updated weekly. Just click the link in the episode details that says support the show and we'll take you directly to that site. If you have any questions or would like us to cover a specific topic, please reach out to us at leftofgreg at gmail.com. On today's episode, Greg and I are joined by Constable Chris Engladeau from Leicester, England. Chris is currently serving as a police officer in the UK and is a member of several specialized units on the UK Police Force. After a lengthy email exchange regarding some of the selection criteria used in these units, specifically regarding vision requirements, we invited Chris on the show to discuss his situation. We get into a number of areas in this episode, but the overall point of the show is to highlight the fact that we often use outdated or arbitrary methods when determining the standards or barriers to entry for different specialized units. Please don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find the links in the episode details. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends about it. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are live. It says we're live? Okay, We're live. That means we are live. So for those of you who are just turning in tuning into the audio version, don't forget that you can follow me on Facebook, and when we come up uh, going live on there, you can get in on the conversation. But to jump right into us, today we are joined from across the pond in the UK, uh, Chris Ingledu, and he is a law enforcement officer over in the UK. So first, Chris, thank you so much for jumping on here and joining us today.
1: No, thank you for having me. It's uh, yeah. good to talk.
0: Yeah. So... Basically, just for for everyone listening, we kind of this started out with uh, I believe a, a LinkedIn connection by Greg, uh, which turned into an email and which turned into a discussion back and forth via email, which was one of the most fascinating ones we've had in a while. Greg, where Long you threw time. it in there. You know, sometimes we get involved in these, and then when you wrote like four or five six paragraphs and i was like all detailed and i was like holy crap this is amazing and then greg of course i knew was already just hunting and pecking on the keyboard looking stuff up doing his re- research but like it had a lot to do with um, uh, well in particular vision right and how that affects different the uh, you know different standards different medical tests you have to have for different professions how you see, what you see. And a lot of it relies on color and not just your eye prescription and what you can fix and what you can't. And there's different standards in place. And this is not just with vision. This is with all kinds of different medical standards for different professions, especially when you get into like military, law enforcement, first responder, those types of careers. right? Because you have to have a certain standard that, let's say, if you were just an HR professional in the workplace, don't need to meet that standard because you don't have the requirements for that job. Right? So uh, there's, there's kinds of gating mechanisms in it. And they, a lot of them have been around for a while or there for a specific reason. And some are just there because it's based on something that's always been there and no one's ever changed it or challenged it. And although we're going to be talking about vision today, one to throw out there that I kind of, I know some people have been affected by it was like here in the U S if you're born, I forget which type diabetic, if you're born with a, a diabetic, and you can't like serve in the military because they you can't you know be rely on like your insulin shots to always have that stuff like that and there was different federal law enforcement agencies that were like that and it took someone challenging that to change to realize to go hey wait a minute this is a, this is kind of an antiquated gating mechanism we have here this this is we're we're beyond where this rule was placed years ago and so now we can change that so I kind of want to just give a little bit of background for the listeners but before we kind of get into that Chris, if you don't mind, kind of tell us a little bit about your job over there in the UK, where you're at and kind of what some of your duties are.
1: Yeah, um, I'm a sergeant in uh, Leicester, which is in the East Midlands of England. Uh, I work on a neighbourhood team, so effectively it's that classic British British Bobby on the beat with the big hat, walking around, shaking hands with people and uh, telling off children. Although I work in the city centre, so it's mainly the homeless uh, and uh, drunks, which are replace the old ladies um but yeah i've been doing that for coming up three and a bit years now um i run quite a small team um in the uk slightly different policing wise to the us um i'm responsible for a a number of cops but also officers that are called uh, police community support officers, which work alongside us, but they don't have the same warranted powers that police officers have. Uh, So yeah, I mean, uh, I look after an area of Leicester called the cultural quarter, but I'm also responsible for a group of officers who look after sex workers. Uh, So my role is very varied, uh, licensed premises such as as public houses, sorry, Um, lots of uh, residential blocks of flats or apartments, Uh, businesses and then I look after the classic red light district as well so my bag is
2: very varied
0: and and I'm sure you get some some good stories (laughs) on a a daily basis
2: to be actual to be actual and factual and honest here Brian that's exactly why I reached out to Chris in the first place, <laughs> yeah. because I had to clear up a couple of local warrants in the red light district for uh, overpayment in one case and underpayment in another. But, you know, Brian, I think it's important, too, to say, listen, Chris, uh, we get letters and we get emails and letters. Look how old I am. And uh, we get uh, Instagrams and everything from people. I don't even know what that is. No, you but, don't. Uh, They ask questions about uh, 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 things like uh, we get one batch that are situation awareness related. Then we get one or human behavior and that's probably the largest net is the human behavior questions. Then we get a couple from that, uh, uh armed and dangerous film where the guy goes, if a guy's lying to me, can I shoot him? Uh, we get a, we get a couple of those, you know, because people will see that and, and ask us or, or send a picture. They'll send the blurriest out of focus, horrible picture. That's damn near night. And they'll go, tell us what you see here. And it's like, okay, don't get it. But, but everybody listening, Chris's uh, uh, written work was so detailed, and you asked such specific questions. We love that. So if you're listening and you're wondering if we answer uh, questions, Chris, uh, did we answer your question (laughs) when you wrote in? And (laughs) and, uh, did you expect to get a response? I think that's important, too. Probably not, I would guess, right? No.
1: (laughs) Definitely not, no. I've had a a lot of uh, one-way emails that never tend to come back. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would tell people, I, I always tell people, be careful when you say, Oh, I'm, I'll email Greg. I said, be careful what you, careful what you wish for. You, you I love that. You I just like, I'm it. sitting there and Maron's t- talking
2: True, I got the new lamp and the gigantic chair and it's three in the morning and I'm just hunting and pecking, uh, <laughs> typing away because I get excited that shows that people are truly thinking because there's two parts of what we're really good at. I think Chris, and the first part is human performance. That leads into human behavior. And the second part being the human behavior that drives everybody, right? That drives all things. And your question was, was, uh, uh, precariously perched right on that line because (laughs) it had to do with, uh, maintaining your job and your livelihood and everything else, uh, uh, in a number of, uh, jobs that are restricted to certain people. And then the other half of that is, Hey, listen, is this a legitimate concern? Right. And Brian, I, I, I thought that was the most interesting. Is this legitimate?
0: Yeah so so let's kind of let's on that let's just let's just jump right into a little bit and one of the questions you brought up had to do with vision and vision tests and um kind of their accuracy what they're meant for what they're meant to it what they're meant to gauge and the purpose behind them so a lot of these stuff so I'll, I'll speak to you know my experience military same thing you had to go through different, you know, your your initial medical screening before you ever even went shipped off to boot camp or anything like that, right? You know, there's all kinds of weird medical tests, you know, they poke and prod you and then, you know, make you read certain things and then look at different, try and pick out numbers in these different colors. And I always say, like, I got to do all kinds of different stuff because it was uh, right after 9 11 in our country and they really needed people. So the standards start to kind of fall in that because I remember going through and taking some of them. And I gave an answer, and then the doctor was like, "Hey, why don't you try that again?" And so I was like, "Oh, okay, that's the wrong one." So, so you know, not to hopefully no one gets in trouble o- over that. I'm sure not, but uh, but but I was allowed through when I probably shouldn't have been allowed through in certain areas. But we made up for that. Uh, uh, hopefully, so one of these is is different uh, vision tests where they test like you know. Uh, differences in red and green colors, your day and night vision, what what they call color blindness, which is actually kind of a detailed definition and and often kind of misunderstood, and then just like your prescription, what you can and can't read, and and, and you know, are you nearsighted, farsighted? That can be um, fixed through through different um, through different methods. Usually, like wearing glasses, you you're allowed to uh, be off this much if you are corrected vision to this level. So, um, Greg, I'll just kind of throw to you first, why. Why is that important, in specifically yeah. what we're talking about in police work?
2: Yeah, I like going to the science, and and uh, first of all, going back to to Marin being chosen by the Marine Corps haphazardly uh, is what we like to say. You did score high on the blood alcohol content. I did I, I nailed must, that? I must tell test. you that you you were probably in the top. <laughs> he went, "Ooh,
0: that. Marine." Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's why the army wouldn't take you. But uh, no, so so let's talk. I, I mean, uh, God, Buddha, Vishnu, Allah set us up for a bunch of survival circumstances uh, wanting us to thrive in our environment. Uh, So we had things uh, like rods and cones, uh, rods that picked up light, even in low light and no light conditions and helped us make out our surrounding. And there there's uh, uh, our cones, which is our color vision. Uh, The confluence of those two helps us see things, whether we're in a cave or venturing out to go uh, fishing or gathering or hunting or whatever, that's fantastic. And then historically, uh, color perception is a critical part of comprehending that world now that we're outside of the cave from that survival standpoint, things like uh, my skin is turning red, that might be a sunburn, I have to do something about it. Uh, this meat is turning black, it might be tainted, so I might not want to eat it. Um, there's blood trailing away from the the thing that I stuck. Uh, I want to track it. Wait a minute, that's not blood. It's merely this fluid or whatever, right? So So there's a whole bunch of scenarios where you can see that we were designed to have one more tool, not the only tool. To help us survive. And I think that's where the rub is, Brian. I think the scientific rub, when we start talking about color deficiency is the fact that there's so many other sensors that my body has that can help me, uh, perform a job. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, no. And, and that's, uh, kind of where it comes from. So when it gets into stuff like, uh, understanding these, these color tests, Greg, like the, the red and green and, and, and Chris, you can jump in here too. Uh, uh, why, Do Why is that test important or why do I have to go through that? Why did I, why did you guys have to do that? Why did I have to do that? What's the point there? So I'll pass it to Chris, but the very first part of that is Brian, that there's certain
2: things that maybe we should be excluded from. For example, back then we were talking about survival. Well, today's survival could be something like LEDs, a light emitting diode. And, and they routinely use red and green. You know, now there's a dodge that says, "I, I need to know where the traffic light is. Listen, if you've walked around your neighborhood for five minutes, you'll figure out the code there. You'll crack that code. But I, I do agree that things like LEDs and other things might give you a disadvantage over somebody else vying for that position. Now, Chris, w- would that be fair? W- w- what's the role you think in uh, across the pond of having that color vision test for for your position? Um well, there isn't a colour vision test for
1: standard policing anymore. Um, it was removed in, I want to say, 2003, um, following a, a bit of work done by a, a think tank over here. Uh, and they realised that, evidentially speaking, um, colour's not that important or it's not going to be fatal to a, a successful prosecu- prosecution at court. Sorry, um, So that was removed. Uh, the only time you can have a, any color vision issue or you can't have a color vision issue in the police is if you're monochromat which means basically seeing black and white and uh, those people are very few and far between i think it's something like one in four hundred thousand if that um so there's not many that, of those people about um so the evidential side is you know null and void now that's gone um where it's still pertinent in the uk is when you're going to armed policing because obviously the police in the uk aren't routinely armed. We, walk around with a stick, can of hairspray and bad intentions pretty much. Oh, and handcuffs as well. We'll need them occasionally. Um, But we do have a very small sort of armed wing, um, which respond to very similar jobs to what we go to. um, But obviously when the danger is just that little bit more that the unarmed colleagues can't go to it. Can you give, Uh,
0: Chris, real quick, can you give a little breakdown of kind of how that works? I know you're structured with, you know, everyone's at one level, then you have certain like, Mm -hmm. uh, you have, uh, they call them like AFOs and then the ARVs and the MAST, like there's different units, not unlike we have here in the US, but your initial unit, obviously there aren't armed they Are all officers are unarmed and then you have to get special training, correct? Even just to, to have an armed presence or how does that work?
1: Yeah. Um- when you join the police in the UK you have to undergo a two-year probationary period so everyone who comes in as a regular officer has to do that two years then once you've done your two years that's when you can branch out into the other areas so if you want to go into investigation uh, be a detective you can go that way or if you want to I do go to neighbourhood policing you go there everyone starts off pretty much on answering the uh, the emergency calls 999s um, and then that's where you learn your trade, as it were, and then you move on to your specialisms from there. And armed policing is one of those specialisms. So it's a sideways move. It's not an upwards move. It's a sideways move. But the AFO route, the armed oh, sorry, the authorized firearms officer route, um, it's quite a tough route to go down. The selection process is really difficult. Uh, and then once you've gone through the selection process, if you're off a place on a course, the course is 11 weeks. Uh, and that's to do with uh, weapons handling, tactics, searching, uh, loads of other stuff. And it is really tough to get through the attrition rate. I think of the course is at least 50%. So there is quite a big dropout just on that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, so I know that that's a, that's a big difference. And then as you get further in, you can, can basically continue that, right? So now you're whatever that basic level armed officer is, then you can go into like the counter units and kind of continue yeah. training, correct?
1: yeah no that's exactly right yeah there's you can specialize once you specialize you can specialize further um so there's effectively you can go you know it's like you said into the counter-terrorism world so where you can learn to repel out helicopters you know storm planes that are on runways and take out it's that quasi-military role which yeah. is uh it sort of branches into what our special forces would undertake but obviously they're not as close as what the police are so that the, they sort of br- bridge that gap between the military and the police when it's required
0: okay yeah so um, and then obviously each one of those levels you get to there's obviously more and more stringent requirements. I'm sure with experience time and then probably qualifying standards i'm I'm assuming that just as you climb that kind of branch in those units it's it gets more and more selective right
1: yeah, it definitely does, and um the fitness tests go up um yeah. And then once you get through, you have to qualify to certain standards, and obviously using different weapon systems or what have you in tactics, you you have to be able to demonstrate an aptitude for those roles. And if you don't meet the standard, gone.
0: Okay. So one of the issues that kind of kind of happened with you as you were making your way through through that kind of area was was not not really your your performance, we'll say, uh, in terms of your physical <laughs> performance, and I'm sure your shooting ability and and all that that cool stuff, but. It was something uh, that you you basically have no control over, right? It had to do with your, your vision. So kind of a, explain what happened there.
1: Yeah. No, um, I filled out my application form, which was the first stage. Um, I was successful on that, and I was invited to the medical. Uh, I passed the hearing test. Uh, I'd already done the fitness test. I so passed that uh, and then I did the eye test and uh, fell flat on my face with the color vision um i knew i was colour blind before i started um but i had a, a feeling that i would get through because i'd done part of the test previously so i could do my police driving uh, and i got through because i was told it was the same standard however when i went back for the um uh, the firearms medical um i was put through some more uh, stringent tests uh and failed them all miserably uh and then was ejected from the process uh, and i uh couldn't really understand why so I asked a few questions of the um, the medical team at my previous force where I used to work and was told go and speak to firearms uh, so I spoke to firearms uh, asked them and they said go and speak to the medical people um, so I ended up speaking to um, there's an organisation called the College of Police in the UK and they basically set the standards for everything over here so um, you know entry requirements uh, physical standards what have you they're the people who sort of own all of that uh, so I asked them um, and then they came back with four reasons as to why someone who's colorblind can't be on firearms um, three of them I knew was sort of rubbish anyway um, so I managed to sort of sidestep those uh, but the main one uh, that they brought up which on the face of it does seem quite reasonable is that if you're colorblind and you're required to um, take shots it's called a critical shot in the UK uh, which is effectively if a senior officer says to you, you know, a critical shot's been authorised and it's the guy in the red jacket. Um, if you're blind and you confuse red with brown or red with green, um, you might make a mistake or fail to act at all uh, and then somebody dies and it's not the right person. So it could be you know, a large, mem- large number of the public or it could be yourself or your colleagues uh, because you either failed to shoot because you hesitated or... Uh, because you shot the wrong person. Um, so on the face of it, that sounds like a very reasonable argument. Um, however, I've got a few issues with it. And i emailed well, Greg about them. And well, that's yeah, we right now.
0: there. And I, I would happy to say, you know, maybe to the average person who knows nothing about law enforcement or training or firearms or the eye and the brain, that would seem like reasonable, right? Well, yeah, you can't. Well, yeah, you don't want to shoot the wrong person. But when you're telling me this this mythical scenario that they've come up with, I'm sitting there just like this is this is crap. This is total rubbish. This is BS, man. Like this is like that's that's a ridiculous scenario someone made up. But but I could see that coming from someone outside who doesn't know any better. Absolutely. I could see them coming up with that and being completely logical and I understand that. But once you get into how this actually works, well one, you are you just going to go off of? Hey, shoot the guy in the red jacket. Like that seems just such a random <laughs> description of a human being. Um, um, for one, off the top of the bat, but but that's kind of where you started. So so I know you had some issues with that. That's where your email kind of thread started to Greg. So so we can start here wherever you guys want, Greg. I'll, I'll yeah. pass to you and 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 kind of start off. Why is that? ridiculous why does that not make sense and yeah. and why should we well let's let's pick that apart a little bit right well just just let's not let facts ruin a perfectly good story <laughs> you get what i'm
2: trying to say if we start there so uh first of all for all our viewers and listeners thank you and being color vision uh deficient it's the inability to distinguish colors not the inability to see colors. So, so that's an important standard. And then whether you're talking about protonopic or deuteranopic color blindness, that means that you're, you're losing sensitive cones, either red or green sensitive, and you might not be able to distinguish the color red. And this strikes one in 12, one in 14 people, uh, red being the number, uh, or the color rather that, uh, uh, most people, uh, that have a deficiency, they're. Theirs is a red deficiency. So that's where all of these stories derive from. So, Brian, I like to go back to the science of the origin story. So, when they start fighting and saying Chris can't go to that training, what they're going to say is, hey, listen, you can't tell that your hamburger is cooked well enough because you can't tell the red difference. Okay, well, there's a thing called a meat thermometer, and I'm quite sure that it works a little bit better than the average eye because people undercook meat all the time. Then they'll say, well, uh, uh, listen, the, the guy in the red shirt, if that's the sole descriptor you're going to use to escalate to a lethal force scenario, I think your standard needs to be revised, you know? And, and the other thing is, uh, unless you're in kinetic combat, uh, uh, I can't imagine somebody telling you, to, Hey, you're cleared hot to shoot another person, you know, and then they'll give you the time and distance gap. Look, unless you're like working at a casino and your job is to exchange chips where I can see immediately that if you yeah. had the wrong chip and it didn't have a number on it, you might have a problem. But then I look at, uh, ramps going into a business and, and handles on showers and toilets. And I say, okay, if a person has a deficiency, what they do is they increase things around that person to make it easier for them. And and Chris, I'd like you to specifically talk about one thing that is in all the stuff that I read, research material, which was about uh, a taser, Thomas A Swift's electric rifle, and where they said, well, you won't, won't won't be able to see the color spectrum, so how will you use the targeting method? Can you talk about that and and again, anything additional to that?
1: Yeah, um no, that was part of the initial argument um from the college of police and they said that um people who are red green color yeah, specifically red green colour colourblind won't be able to see the red dot of the laser on the taser and also the sighting systems that the uh, afos use they're holographic so you won't be able to see the, um, the crosshair because it's red um, the taser thing we've actually sorted that out now um, people with colourblindness in the uk or police officers not people uh, can carry taser that's something that's been uh, amended and changed but it They said that the red would blend into other reds or to uh, other greens or what have you, other colours. And it's clearly just factually incorrect. And the one thing that they didn't do, and this is the thing that sort of, without being too blunt about it, really grips my shit, is that they never put a taser in the hand of somebody who's colourblind and done that, you know, very basic, rigorous testing. Can you see that? Uh, That question was never asked. It was all hypothetical stuff and what they they got a, a color vision expert um to go away and say yeah people who fail color vision tests will struggle to see red in certain circumstances go, they can't see the red dot of a taser or the laser sight on the taser um so yeah it, it was just those sort of things it's that the working laboratories bears no resemblance to the reality yes. of actual the real world and the, the never the twain will meet apparently in policing um however in other areas they they tend to in common sense uh sort of reign supreme but for some reason it doesn't seem to with regards to color vision and policing in uh, england and wales
0: well you you had you you kind of nailed it right there when you said right you know, the, the laboratory doesn't necessarily replicate real conditions and that's that's huge because Rightly so. This is where a lot of this stuff started. Right, you got to go. Okay, well, there's certain vision requirements. What do the scientists say about it? What is the lab performance? What What's the baseline for that? And if that works, it works. And if it never, if you never get a discrepancy or no one ever challenges it, then it just becomes, the, hey, well, this is why we do it. I mean, you're you're getting into such an area, like. I have in my background right now. I mean, you can see I have a flag. I have our Arcadia logo and I have a little pennant from USC. <laughs> They're all have red on them. They're all three different shades of red. If you ask me what color any of them were, I'd say red like it, it, you know, yeah. it, it, it's it's that it, you're, you're almost splitting hairs here on 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 us, what, what has seemed to become kind of an arbitrary, uh, you know, an arbitrary gating mechanism to get in. Like it's just there because it's always been there. So like. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Greg. I know yeah, you're, uh, no, no. you're
2: right on something. And, and remember, when we're talking, Brian is a subject matter expert in long range precision gunfire. He's got a bunch of different histories in a bunch of different areas, and, and he split a, a bunch of wigs in combat. And so we have to make sure that when we're talking about uh, this very situation, if I was going to talk arbitrary and capricious, which this standard seems to be. And folks, do your homework. Look them up. It's a legal standard. My thing is, can you help me, Chris, understand how many times your armed uh, snipers were directed by their supervisors to shoot the guy in the red jacket this last year? How many times did uh,
1: that happen? If I was to round it up, it'd be less than zero.
2: Okay, <laughs> so, so if we multiply <laughs> by zero for each answer, protracting that out, you'll understand the absurdity of what I'm talking about. So, Brian, I want to make sure that the, the viewers and listeners understand why we're fighting uh, uh, for Chris and against uh, the, this, this color deficiency uh, hoax or myth. It's because if it was founded in science and you could show me research, uh, look, can I go back to one thing? When we were doing a bunch of work with IEDs, I had to deal with a bunch of scientists and the one rigor that they put into the testing process was part of the control group had to put their hand in warm water, part in cold water, and the third group in no water. And they said that would equate the stressful conditions of combat when we were about to go into kinetic Iraq. And it was like, okay, I don't know what world you're all from, but but we've got people that are being exploded and shot and killed and are committing suicide. And we have all these external stressors and, and this external stimuli that, that we can point to and look at uh, things like that. We brought up episodic cortisol. Brian, you'll know that how many times that we did those tests. Well, I'll believe that scientific study and I'll even follow your theory if your hypothesis is sound and it's based on research that I can get from another, uh, a source or, or a situation that's occurred. That's very popular that everybody can look and say, Hey, the die has been cast with this, but everything I researched and everything I looked up and the same with Brian, we couldn't find a case there. There was no case. So what, what I mean by arbitrary and capricious is let's not put something in there and say, this is a new gating mechanism that we just came up with because theoretically this situation could arise. Well, th- th- that doesn't, that doesn't pass a smell test for me. I'll say no,
1: it's 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 a really tough one because um it's not a tough one at all, it's really easy. Um the standards for testing in the UK for armed policing, um, they were made slightly more well made a lot more difficult um about two or three years ago, uh, which was partially my fault. So if anyone does come across this and they <laughs> could get into firearms or <laughs> <kicked> off firearms, it's <laughs> probably because of me. So sorry about that. Um but there are AFOs around the UK who are colourblind because they got through on the testing um, because the testing that's used is no good. Um, the Ishihara test, which me and Brian were speaking about earlier, that only detects red-green colour vision problems. It doesn't detect blue-yellow. So if you've got a blue-yellow problem, Then you'll get past that test and then you'll not be required to do the other tests. However, people with blue, yellow color vision issues um, have worse night vision, apparently. Um, So, that in itself creates more problems. Right. Um, So, yeah, and the other tests that they use, what they designed to is obviously identify and categorize your issue. However, it, what they tend to do is the people with the the least severe problems, which is out, so people that should be suitable according to the standard that's in place, um, get weeded out. However, mm-hmm. if you've got a really severe colour deficiency, it won't pick it up, so you'll get through. So the people that shouldn't be getting through do get through, and the people that should be getting through don't. Um, right. And these are tests. The issue yeah. of tests has been going for like 80 years. It's not changed in 80 years. So it's why are we using something that's 80 years
2: old? We don't use eight year old firearms. How did you do on the Ishihara test, Brian? Yeah. I I was going to say, I just,
0: I I hopped on that. (laughs) Everyone listen, I'll have that link up in the episode details. You can hop on there and take it. But I, I scored a 50% on that right before we got on this podcast and took it, which I knew I had the red, same thing that red green. I was like, yep, I remember this. And you know, military use it for a number of reasons too. But I think the, the point of me talking about my experience with it. And I had another guy, uh, Josh following along uh, right now live who said, yeah, I had the same thing happened to me when I went in the military, you know, and I had one good eye and one bad eye. Like basically he said, like one eye, I see an HDMI and the other one is like, you know, the old AV cable. And then uh, same thing. I don't, I'm completely colorblind. But it, I think they also know like, hey, this is kind of a ridiculous test. It doesn't actually affect things on the ground because otherwise, I mean, our nods, or NVGs, well, they used to be, they're a little bit different now, we're all green. And then, you know, you had same, like you just said, like you had red optics and uh, or green night sights on different sidearm stuff. So it's like well no one's i've never known anyone who put it up and just said oh i can't see the site like you know what i mean saying like i don't get like i've never come across that before yeah. ever and and so the interesting part is that it's still in place and like you just said there's these are the tests they use but so what tell me kind of like what happened cuz you obviously then you started researching it you went back and said all right are there any cases where this comes up? What, what's what's the standard here? What's the precedent, and why we're using this? Um, what's going on? So you kind of started, obviously, did your own research. You compiled all this information. You looked into it. What did you start to find as you kind of like put all that together, and then tried to go back and present your case? Kind of what what happened there with everything?
1: um i i literally did the hard yards i rang the 43 police forces in england and wales uh, wow. and asked to speak to all their firearms teams uh, and i found a good number of afos up and down the country um who were colorblind um so they're all really helpful i wanted to talk to you and say oh yeah it's a load of rubbish don't worry about it you know this this sort of thing makes no sense however if you actually get them to sit the head above the parapet and for very you know obvious reasons they don't want to because they don't want to lose their jobs um, When i want to say lose their jobs they lose their position on the firearms team and go right. back to being a regular cop not mm-hmm. be sacked because that wouldn't happen um so it was very much sort of anecdotal evidence that i had um it was, well, me on my own. Basically, what happened was I ended up at an employment tribunal because I tried to argue that the standard wasn't necessary and not required. Uh, and I said, if you can pass the initial firearms course, which is that 11 week course we spoke about earlier, uh, that course will weed weed you out if you're not good enough and if your eyes aren't good enough for that course uh, then you'll get caught out uh, and ultimately I was unsuccessful with that uh, but a, a really good sample of evidence that I tried to bring in uh, and that was sort of kicked into long grass quite early on at court was uh, Western Australia Police and um, they routinely arm just like they do in the States um, but they've removed all colour vision testing I want to say in 2003 again and um, and they've reported absolutely no issues at all. I mean, I've i done some digging. I've spoken to them on the phone and email. Um, and nobody has got any issues at all. There's not been, no one's been shot incorrectly in Australia based on right. the color vision deficiency of a, a police officer over there.
2: I, I would see two things uh, uh, that, that we have to address, Brian, uh, based on Chris's uh, uh, testimony today. And, and, uh, he's been forthright forthcoming, uh, transparent, uh, and it's a great issue, but there's going to be people out in the audience that are going to go, Hey, this is sour grapes. He couldn't get into this special position. So he's pissed. (laughs) He wants to create this new, uh, uh, area where he can go into the second thing is the second side of that coin perhaps is that I want you to think for a minute, just fiscally, just financially, just fiduciarily, of what that means of taking a trained person that passed all of the tests, but now the standard comes back and says, well, if there's a color deficiency and you can't pass this test, you're out. Listen, we're, we're talking in the U.S. right now about restructuring police departments and, and defunding or cre- creating a difference in the training. You're talking about having these wonderful, experienced veteran officers like you that don't qualify for a position and they might lose you. And, and folks, we're not talking that Chris can't drive and he's mowed down citizens. We're not talking about that, that, you know, he poured milk in a bowl and thought it was a uh, spaghetti sauce and, you know, uh, his old lady punched him in the head. We're not talking about these mythical unicorns and tilting at windmills. We're talking about something that hasn't moved the dial. It hasn't shown that it was dangerous or deadly. Doesn't affect NVGs doesn't affect nods or thermals, you can do your job, right? I mean, you, you there's no other aspect of your job that you failed in except this. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, no, it's spot on.
2: Okay, so yeah. so what do you say, and I apologize, Brian, what do you yeah. say when somebody might come up with the point that, hey, sour grapes, spilled milk, you're just pissed that you can't, uh, 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 you know, go into one of those specialty jobs?
0: It's, it's not going to No, that's for you, Chris.
2: <laughs> yeah. Maren's dealt, with, Maren's dealt with rejection all his life. I well, have. You, no, Chris, all
0: right.
2: <laughs> for you, Chris, um, what, what if somebody came up and said that? Um, I would understand it because it does sound
1: like sour grapes. So I'm, I'm not going to yeah. deny it. And, and I'll be honest with you, there is a little bit of sour grapes, but yeah. it's not the fact okay. that they've said no to me. It's the fact that they said no to me, but not actually giving me a real reason and not allowed, um, first of all, for me to demonstrate suitability. Uh, And second of all, to back it up with evidence, uh, all they've brought up to me is anecdotal, laboratory based evidence. I mean, I don't know if you know, but color vision standards, as far as I'm aware, came in following a train crash in Sweden. I think it was in the early 1800s. And a train went through a set of lights, crashed and killed, uh, crashed into a village, I think it was, killed a a good number of people. And obviously, the driver died. Um, And from that, they decided that the reason why the train driver didn't stop at the lights. Was because he was colorblind now no autopsy was done on the train driver because there's not enough of him left to do it right they just made an assumption and a, a chap called holmgren um who was a visual specialist at the time all of a sudden created some color vision tests now I'm, this is me my ex-fast conspiracy theory <laughs> but he might have made a little bit of money out of developing color vision tests and yep. selling them to the rail industry so there's a lot of people, and again, this sounds like side grapes. I know it does, but there's a lot of people who have an interest in color vision testing, because if you don't have color vision standards for certain areas, then you don't need the tests, and if you don't need the tests, you've got nothing to sell. But again, that's just me being. No, side that grapes. that's
0: that's a great point for yeah, so you, no one going a historical perspective. Hey, this is where it started and then now look at it today fast forward a couple hundred years this is where it's at now this is what happens when those policies get into place and and this is where i go on on you know even larger level with different selection process or or barriers to entry or standards you have placed like you, you, it should be what's the operational standard right meaning like what are you going to do can you accomplish the all the shooting and the driving and all the different physical requirements you have to do to do your job, and then if you don't meet one of these odd medical things, it should be well. Well, how do we how do we get you there, right? Because you clearly can possess the skills, the knowledge, attitude, aptitudes, abilities to do this job. So yep. it should be well. Well, how do we do that? I mean, because people come up with all kinds of different ones. I mean, there's different like like in here in the U.S. There's all kinds of different ones, especially federal law enforcement agencies. Like, oh, you got to have a college degree. It's like okay, well, you're automatically you know you're 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 ruling out a bunch of people who are highly qualified have the experience for that position but didn't go to school what if they didn't have access to school what if they didn't have the money to do that what if they didn't you know i mean now you've got someone who his did and they're already a step ahead even though they're younger and don't have the experience it's like these weird arbitrary ways of doing that and i think now because of cases like yours and other things that come up you have to challenge it someone has to challenge it and show good cause and then for people to go, oh, wait a minute, yeah, let's take a look at this. But like you said, if there's someone in there that has some sort of financial interest in keeping that going, well, now you've got a whole bunch of issues you're up against. And someone's like, hey, man, you're not taking away my paycheck because of uh, I've, you know, my whole life revolves around this.
2: Well, yeah. uh, think of this too, Brian, uh, Chris. W- uh, one quick uh, note on that, Brian. Brian and I have traveled uh, all over the United States and and. Uh, talked and lectured and uh, had seminars. And the hardest uh, nut to crack is schools. Uh, right now during COVID, not a lot of kids are at school, so not a lot of uh, school shootings. But back during the the school shootings, which are, are always happening in the United States at one point or the other, we would go in because a parent called us. We didn't do a cold call. We didn't show up in your area knock on your school door, but a parent called us that had attended or seen one of our other training programs and said, this is the thing that we need, the human behavior, human performance thing for our school, so we can reduce the risk posed by a school shooter. So we'd go in, we'd do the program. And every one of the parents was like, we want to do this. You know, kids are involved in the teachers and everything. And then the school board or, or the superintendent or whatever the supervisory layer would come in and go, yeah, it's great. Uh, we love what you guys are doing. We just don't think it's going to happen here. And, and what that type of linear thinking is what you're getting from your folks. So if you drew a line on a yellow pad and you drew just one very narrow V spike coming up off of that line for the people that that can't see me at home. What you're saying is in the life of that school, the school shooter is that narrow little line that goes up there and it'll almost never happen. Like in that to your shoot the guy in the red shirt. The problem is that that's where all of the risk lies. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So in real time, when we're talking about a school shooter, or we're talking about, you know, some, something that has huge volumes of science behind it, that makes sense. But in yours, we're on a unicorn timeline. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Where where we falsely made those. So I, I, I feel bad about that, Chris. And, and, what, what was the board's answer? The, the, is it a definitive answer or can you go back once more information becomes available? Um, at the minute, it's
1: definitive uh, and it's a no. And uh, part of the, or one of the reasons why I think I was unsuccessful when I uh, ended up at the tribunal um, was just because I had very little, all, all the evidence that I gathered was coming from me, and I'm not a subject matter expert in right. armed policing. I'm not a subject matter expert in uh, visual sciences. Uh, and the Friday before my uh, hearing, the Bataclan shooting happened in France, yeah. um, where a, a, basically a terrorist walked into a, I think it was a concert, and and shot loads of people. Uh, and so straight away, people they they were worried. They were worried about it. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a tough ask. Um, I've lost my train of thought a little bit now. Um, <laughs> So God, it's that color deficiency.
0: <laughs> That's why those it's bastards are trying to, to worry fire about you. Not the eyes. Yeah. yeah. Chris, <laughs> was there maybe another now? reason that they gave you? <laughs> that? I, uh, have you been drinking? <laughs> yeah. That's where am funny. I? What, sorry, what's your <laughs> yeah. name? Yes. Yeah. So, where am I? Where am I? So, no, no. I, no, but it, it's, it, it, it's go, for hungry.
2: what you're saying is the definitive answer. Uh, the week before happened, those things tainted it. So you don't think that they're going to, to, to look at this problem again, even though I would, I would opine that the sports industry, uh, in, in the U S and, and the UK are looking closely at this issue every day. You know,
1: I, I think they are going to look at it, but it, it boils down to money and it boils down to interest. Yes. Um, and th- there's not a lot of money about it at the minute, uh, and interest is elsewhere. Uh, and there's. Myself and uh, a couple of other guys who work for the police federation, which is effectively the police union um, who keep banging the door uh, and kicking it out. And and there is interest amongst chief officers um, because they're worried that they're going to lose a lot of AFOs um, because they're in post at the minute. Some of them have got, you know, in excess of 20 years in post and to lose those people and all that experience is, you know, they're not going to be able to replace it. And when 95% of your armed staff are male and, you're talking, what's it, between 8 and 12% of 95% of your talent pool um, is going to be unavailable for you. You're never going to replace those numbers. And armed policing is massively undersubscribed in this country right. um, because of the amount of risk it carries. Uh, a lot of people are nervous about doing it. Um, here, if a police officer shoots somebody, um, you know, that's six months of their life can be on hold. And some guys, there was a chap called Tony Long, who um he shot a a man called Adele Rodney dead in two thousand and five um, It was a legitimate shooting, nothing wrong with it at all. He retired a few like few um, years later uh, and they dragged him out of retirement and tried him for murder for that shooting wow. um, and he was found not guilty um but just, the irony yeah. of that is he's colorblind as well <laughs> so uh, yeah and he, he he he's had a very sort of uh, eventful career in terms of police shootings in the UK. I think he shot four people, uh, three of them ended up dying. Um, no issues with any of the shootings at all, all justified. Um, and he was one of the people who worked in implementing the current tactics that the police use now. Um, and those tactics are derived, like I said before, from military tactics from the SAS, uh, the 22 SAS. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to be in 22 SAS um, as a counterterrorism specialist, guess what? You could be colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> it's exa- not a well, that, so, And the, place are. Is doing the exact same things what they're doing.
0: That's the thing is that, um, like that's at least with the military and a lot of stuff is there's always like where the jokes are like, well, there's always a waiver. Right. And, and that's the, that's the point is that here's the requirements. If you don't meet one of them, you can get a waiver because what that means is a board or some individual or individuals sat down looked at the looked at the specifics of your case and verified whether or not that had an effect and went oh no you're good we'll write a waiver for that that's fine normally it wouldn't meet our requirement but i've i've now understood it you've you've stated your case it's on here so that seems more applicable but a lot of the stuff that that we're talking about too i, I think there are some generational differences that are finally starting to change cuz you look at different like even like okay you got vision requirements there's age requirements for certain stuff it's like well maybe 20 30 40 years ago yeah that that's but it you know that that made sense but a lot of that not anymore do you got guys in their 40s right now that can outrun, outshoot, outlift guys in their 20s, and they have 20 years of experience behind them. You know what I'm saying? Like all of that stuff is changing a little bit. And so now some of those requirements are like, well, maybe we don't have to have this maximum age at like, 35 for this, maybe we can bump that up to 40 now or 45 because people are living longer, people are working longer, people are healthier, yeah. people are you know, uh, physical training has gotten a lot better at a greater scale. So, all of those things start to change a little bit. And I did want to throw in one thing that uh, our one of our um listeners and our friend he was on, uh, Andy Brown, uh, he's got a great book called Warnings Unheeded, but uh, he was on and he said his, his response was good. I don't know if you you checked into this, but he said, I wonder if Taser or any red dot industry, you know, optic or anything, have they done any testing with colorblind users? Because it's in their interest to prove that, you know, it works and used by all. So I don't know if you looked into that. That's actually a great um, point.
1: As far as I'm aware, they haven't. But um, I'm sure you guys probably use this already. But the new Taser that's coming out of Taser, I'm going to call it Taser 7, um, has a red dot and a green dot. Uh, and Apparently, the, the green dot is more salient for everybody. So yeah that's the advance that that's what I'm making but it's it's a factory thing isn't it it's a, a tooling thing if if you need to put a blue light on it for you know 10 people who work in a city in the uk you could do that but again it all comes down to the cost doesn't it and who's going to pay for it um, but yeah i mean as far as I'm aware, axon who make taser they've not actually specifically looked at color vision um, but they are changing what they do so it could be that they are or good have. to hear
2: from good to hear from andy brown we love you andy Hey, uh, uh, Brian, one thing I want to uh, bring up that Chris said earlier to, to put a fine uh, point on it. The reason that Chris was talking about the uh, males and females in law enforcement work is because males uh, uh, are the lion share of the people that uh, have colorblind. It's very mm-hmm. rare uh, in females. So there in a, in a male-dominated uh, job, you would exclude males from something that they could do uh, uh, normally by using the color vision and it would, would set up an unfair advantage perhaps for females versus males. So there's, there's another legal standard that would be absolutely unnecessary if this wasn't so, so arbitrary. And, and I, I would, I would ask because we have a long reach, uh, you know, we're number 10 in Japan, uh, number <laughs> one in North Macedonia Love our, our, our folks out in Greece. Uh, if you guys know of cases, uh, ladies, gentlemen, uh, Right in. So Brian can send that information along to Chris and we can have him back on his show and say, Chris, you bastard, you hid the infamous case of the, uh, of the bakery murders. Yeah. And, uh, I, 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 you know, because let's be realistic about this. This is a tremendous amount of anxiety with you, a veteran decorated copper on the streets that loves your job job. You're not pissed at your job. You're not trying to, to get extra money. As a matter of fact, most people don't want the position that you're trying out for because you associated (laughs) stress with it. And, and I would say Brian is a, is a professional shooter. I, I mean, there are no such standards for U- U.S. Marine Corps snipers. Uh, Brink said there's none for no. the U.S. Army snipers.
0: No, it's a the military stuff can get away with that. I, I think because it's military, you know, some in some requirements are are actually less for certain things because you're not, you know, it's like here in the U.S. you're not going to be, you're you're not you're not going up against U.S. citizens who have constitutional rights if you're in the yeah. U.S. military, no, right? And so it's a little bit different. But I'm I'm curious, Chris. Like, so you you know you went through everything you tried to find did as much research as you could and you didn't really find any you know you couldn't find any cases where this was a factor or some determining factor where it really made a decision or what happened but what would there what would the evidence be to like keep that standard to say no this is what you have to pass do you what what's their argument so to speak uh, as to why that's there or or do they have one or is it just there because it's always been there
1: um it's there because it's always been there. Um, that No evidence that I'm aware of, it, it's all that hypothetical risk. Uh, it's that one in a million chance that you could get it wrong. And to the layperson, you think, yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. And when I had my tribunal, um, I was asked a question and it was something along the lines of, okay, you're an armed police officer, you're looking up at a balcony and on that balcony, there's three men. One's wearing a red jacket, ones and the two others are wearing brown and you can't tell the difference between any of them um would you pick the right person and what i wanted to say was well can we talk about that example properly or do you just want a one-word answer and it was just the one-word answer so i said yes Um, but that scenario i mean again to everyone who's listening you know that sounds reasonable and to me i mean i've done a lot of soul searching with this thinking can i actually do this job am i you know capable of doing it and I still think yes, but that scenario is just completely—it's so narrow that it's un, you know completely unrealistic. There's it, it, it talks nothing about. Well, first of all, what mood was I in when I woke up this morning? <laughs> yeah. Did I fall out with my wife before I came to work? You know, how how have I been at work? You know, what's the nature of the job? Where's the information come from? What sort of briefing have I had when I'm travelling to, to this incident? You know, what's the information that's being told to me? Where's the information come from that this guy in the red jacket um, it poses a danger to the public that's so great that he needs to be killed instantly? Okay, who's passed that information? Does that come from a member of the public? Because if it has, we're probably not going to trust it anyway. Right. Yeah. If it's come from another police officer, he's probably there. So he can say, it's him.
0: It's
1: like so much information. And the, the issue, one of the issues that I have with the color vision standard is it's treating people with color vision deficiency as a faulty machine. That if you put this information in because the machine's faulty you get the the end product that comes out is going to be wrong but it doesn't work like that people are just massively complex machines and it's hard sorry um, it's hard for me to describe how i do something because i've been doing it for over 40 years and i've always got by i've never had in my policing career uh, or in life in general the only time i've ever had a problem was um Basically, don't ask me to pick out a tie for you
2: because it won't match your <laughs> shirt. It'll be pointless.
1: <laughs> which, but in, in normal life, it's
0: never been a which problem. Which
2: amazingly, <laughs> which amazingly, comes up more often than shoot the guy in the red jacket. Yeah, just so you know, absolutely.
0: You know? Well, well, no, and, and you know this. This again, I go back to this hypothetical example as a perfect example. They they asked you a horrible question. Okay, like if right now, if you're watching a, a football game, whether that's American football. You, you know, European football, whichever one. Um, if even if you everyone was still wearing, you know, there you got two teams all wearing the same uniform, even if they all had the same number jersey with no names on it, would would you be able to tell the difference between different members of that team? Well, absolutely you can. There's there's physical description. And to go back to that, especially for police work here, like I mean, you go, you're gonna wanna go off of the color of the clothes they're wearing. Dude, I, you know how many times someone robs a place, runs around back, takes that hoodie off, drops those pants and comes walking out because they're dressed? I mean, it's just like this is a such a a completely arbitrary way to look at it and right. and I and it seems just like no one's putting any thought into actually taking the time to research it, use a practical example, try to set up, I mean, just ask someone, try to set up an experiment to fool you, Chris. Put a realistic standards out to where, all right? Would you be able to make the right decision in this situation? And it's going to be yes, of course you are. Like they, to come down to this, like you know, odd what shade of color the jet? Like no one even notices that stuff anyway. Even when you call it in, even the first responding officers you're probably going to get some of that description wrong anyway too. I mean, there's always that error in there. So I mean, I, I don't. It just seems like an odd way to, to go about it. And that's a great
1: point. And I'll go back to a job that I went to um, on my last set working. So what day are we on today? Wednesday. I think this probably happened on Monday. Um, One of my colleagues was assaulted in the city centre and he presses his panic button, shouts it up. And the description is grey top, black trousers, white trainers, uh, six foot. Actually, it was black top, grey trousers, black trainers, and he was about five foot four. So, I mean, and that's from a police officer. It's, and right. so, it, you know, it, I mean, colour itself is completely unreliable. Um, there's a piece of work Uh, that i managed to get a look at by a professor called i think it's called michael webster Uh, and the work that he did he showed that there's a 30 percent i think it was variance between color naming in the color normal so one guy who's passes all the color vision tests could say it's yellow uh, and another guy who passes all the color vision tests could say it's red and that's quite a big difference between yellow and red (laughs) and that's in the color normal so why are we relying on colour when it is so inherently unreliable? Um, there's loads of things that can impact it. If you stand under a, a street light or a sodium light, you know, that changes the colour completely. Um, if you come from a different part of the world to me, and UK is a massively multicultural society, if somebody comes from another part of the world and they say, oh, that guy was wearing purple, but their version of purple is actually my version of green, mm-hmm. you know, and that causes a problem straight away um so yeah I mean, it just the, the the fact that it the reliance is so heavy on colour and i i know for a fact it's we don't rely on colour the standard says that we do but speaking to operational cops i'm talking police constables who are afos up to um you know chief constables you know the people who run the organisation they say no, never happen it would never happen because it's too dangerous and you you, you work on information you don't work yeah. on you know the the color of a a piece of clothing. It it just makes no sense at all. But because that standard's there um, and people feel the need to defend it um, and you don't, you know, defend it, but go and find out if it's right or not and then, you know, challenge it. And, you know, with firearms being so undersubscribed as well, you know, if if there's a chance that you could get, you know, 10% more applicants into that role, Mm -hmm. then surely that investment there is worth it.
0: Yes.
2: I'm nobody, I'm nothing. I'm nothing but I've been teaching enhanced optics and observation as part of our courses for, it'll be 38 years, August 15th. And, and Brian has been, uh, uh, with me for a long time and he's seen me teach and he's taught with me and we've taught about the eye and the brain and the linkages and the fact of the matter is in all the stuff that I've written, it's always the three things that make things visible to humans is light motion and edges. Uh, uh, we talk about rods and cones. We talk extensively about aberrations in your vision And how your brain makes up things, whether they're there or not. Uh, But I can't think for the life of me in that entire almost four decades of work and research, Brian, where we've ever brought up color as a distinguishing factor. With the exception of when we were talking cultural significance, where a color may be culturally significant in an environment. And then guess what? The differences are so minute. So I would go back to that standard too. I would say the legal standard is light motion and edges. That's what drives your central or your peripheral vision. And there are so many other factors that are more important than color uh, uh, and specifically this brand of color deficiency
0: yeah I, I i agree with that we've got even people following along Sarah's following along saying like hey i'm I, she's in graphic design and so she's like look you when someone says a color and it's completely something else you know everyone literally sees it differently so it's just such a again That's a kind great. of an arbitrary way to look like in that job it's you know it, her. You know her her paycheck probably relies on that when someone says red, they mean something different. Well, I got three examples yeah. <laughs> of red in my room right here. You know, what exactly. do you what do you want? And and that's where it, it comes in. So it it does it does seem like it's an it's an odd standard. But again, I, I'm sure it sounds like you're the or maybe not, are you the first person to challenge this?
1: Um, well, no, um, in terms of firearms, yes. Uh, there was a a chap who's uh, retired a few years ago, a guy called Rob Webster, who uh joined the police in I want to say in the late 70s. Um, and he was upfront about it when he joined, he says, I'm, I'm colorblind, and he went through his uh career all right. And then um, he went for an advanced driving course. Um, and then when they did the eyesight test for the advanced driving course, they discovered again that he was colorblind. Um, so they put him behind the desk effectively and he went to an employment tribunal as well um and then eventually his was i think his employment tribunal is what ended up or resulted in the um the standards being changed because i initially tried to join the police when i was much younger uh in 1999 i think it was and I got rejected initially because i was colorblind uh, and then applied again in the 2000s and managed to get in because uh, the standard had changed and that was probably because of um, rob's court appearance excuse me um yeah so yeah i'm the first person to whinge about the firearms thing but i know since me afos have been caught out uh, and they've lost their jobs or lost their tickets effectively uh, and then gone to et again Um, but what we are finding is happening is that they're getting discovered their employer is having a bit of a wobble Uh, And then pulling them from the job, and then actually going, Oh, no, you've been all right for the last five years, haven't you? Since you've been on the post, yeah, go back. And then so they're effectively U-boating through the organization. But they're demonstrating that they can do the job absolutely fine. um, I've spoken to loads of them who said, Yeah, absolutely fine. No issues at all.
0: Yeah. And it it sounds like you said back in 2003 or 2004, you know, with there in the UK for the regular police, they kind of said, Well, this is actually, we don't need this. This is not used anymore. And then, you know, if Australia is starting to do it, it sounds like it's starting to go that way. So maybe your case can be the one to take it to that next level. Because again, this sounds like to me, it's just like, well, it just sounds like, oh man, they just, they just don't know what they don't know. They're going, look, this is the test. This is very serious. This is involving firearms. This is involving life or death. Like we, we yeah. can't, we, you know. So I get those arguments, but those aren't. There's no, there's no evidence to support those claims. Is the problem? It's, it's, it's anecdotal, and it's not even a good anecdote, right? It's not even. It's the train crash story. Oh, you know, after the guy dies, ah, he was colorblind. Sounds good to you guys? All right, sounds good. Two hundred years later, where this is how it is. But, but I always, i I appreciate that you went back and even looked into that because this is how those things start and the second and third order effects don't come about until decades or, or centuries later to where that started and then a science forms from it and then a business forms from it and then we find out oh wait this is kind of junk uh this doesn't work anymore you know what that doesn't apply here so that's constantly in flux and then but if you only know it from your angle of well no this is what the rule is this is what we got to do i mean there how many different type of you know, so bureaucrats, so to speak, have, have we all been in front of or heard before that went like, no, but the standard is this. And we're going like, yes, I know we're, we're saying that's the problem is the standard or, or what this issue is. It's not, it's not this individual, it's the way we're measuring and assessing this person just yeah. doesn't really make sense.
2: And I would caution us too, that We're generally humans are generally a smart species that learns from their mistakes. And so, if this was a significant problem everywhere, you would have a scientific body of research to pull from that would show it. Good ideas stick around, and when things are dangerous, they stick around. That's why you're not reading a lot of uh, uh, you know, material about goiters or hunchbacks not being allowed, you know, as 7 Eleven clerks or whatever else, because there's no body of research and no reason. that would come up. And this one to me, when you wrote it, the reason I was so excited, uh, by, by writing you back. And, and as soon as I, I talked to Brian in the morning, I was like, Hey, you got to see this Chris thing, you know? And, and I even asked Brian, <laughs> you remember Brian, I said, let me take the first crack at this one. Uh, the reason I was so excited is because there is no, uh, uh, valuable, valuable, uh, uh, research that we can pull from. And even the sports industry is way behind the, the, you know, they got so many more issues, concussions that, all the other types of stuff but uh coppers man you got to take a look at this you, you, if you're an agency and an institution you're going to pass up a great guy like chris or, or some other uh, uh, person uh, because of an unfounded fear of a hypothetical event
1: yeah i mean uh, the, th- the thing the color vision thing that that really sort of grips me is, is with it as well is um, armed cops in the uk are cops First and foremost, they're police Mm -hmm. officers, and they're using the exact same skills that they used prior to carrying the gun. Uh, And a lot of the firearms teams, when they recruit, they uh, make a big point of saying you are still a police officer and you're doing a a police officer's job, except you can obviously escalate slightly more than uh, somebody else can with a a taser or a baton. Um, And they seem to have lost sight of that a little bit. Right. You know, it's a shame because there's a lot of good people out there. I mean, this might be me being slightly biased, but I've spoken to a lot of uh, cops who are in firearms with colour blindness and they're all good people and they're all, a lot of them are the ones that I think are the better performers because there's something about them that they do things in a slightly different way they couldn't tell you it's that tacit knowledge isn't it they don't know how they're doing it or why they're doing it it's like you know if i say to you how do you ride a bike you mm-hmm. can tell me how to do it but you wouldn't be able to do it based on that um and they they're missing out on those people and those people will be absolutely well, not all of them obviously but the ones i've spoken to will be really great in that role because they've got that motivation um to do the job properly and to do it well um and like i say it goes back to that faulty machine isn't it we're not faulty machines we just see things slightly differently we we get to the same end result um we just go about it a slightly different way and the fact that it's hard to verbalize how we do it i think that's part of the problem and that's why people go well you know you're not past that test and if unless you can show us how you do it and a big thing in the uk with the color vision thing is to uh demonstrate coping strategies I don't know what they are. I, I'm sure I've got them, but I couldn't tell you what they are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a that's a that's another a great point on on top of it. So um, I kind of I don't want to take. Too much more of your time, but is there anything you have like next where you can go with this or something you're planning on doing, trying to appeal again or gather more evidence? You know, someone out there listening, you know, hey, I know a case from France where an officer did that, you know, we get random like you. I mean, we get those type of contacts from people and people reach out. So is there something you're looking for or the next step that you're taking?
1: Um I'm just, we're just continuously pushing it. Um, There's a, I I think there's a definite feeling amongst the chief constables in the UK. We're split into 43 different forces and each one's got its own chief constable. Um, And I think amongst the chief constables, there is a real appetite to look at this because they they have to p- provide an arm function. Um, they're not providing the arm function that they want at the minute because they can't get the people and they're at risk of losing people and they don't want to. Um, and I think a lot of them, particularly my chief constable, Simon Cole, who's colourblind himself, he, from my conversation with him, he doesn't believe that the risk um, is there um so I, I think at that very top tier there is mm. you know an appetite to do something about it but again it comes down to money it comes down to time and it comes down to priorities and it's probably not a priority at the minute um so i just keep me with um, two chaps of the police federation a guy called shay donald who's the vice chair and the firearms lead the chap called steve hartshaw who've both been fantastic with this uh, they're constantly asking people kicking doors in you know really pretty much bullying people into listening which is good um, and 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 there's and us as a three and other people as well we are constantly asking the question um, and I'd like to think at some point in the near future there will be a bit of movement because um, like I say I, I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to lose a lot of AFOs through retirement um, a lot of AFOs who are going to get retested and then get removed from position and they're not going to be able to fill those roles uh, and our uh, terror threats at the minute is just being reduced, but it's still, you know, an attack is likely. And if attack is likely, you need a response to it. And if that response isn't coming from the police, you're going to be waiting a hell of a long time for the SAS or the military to turn up.
0: Yep. That's a, well, that's, that's a great point. Um, Greg, unless you've got anything else to add on top of that before we we wrap up here, I think My that was a good, yeah.
2: It's a great place. My thing is stop looking at the differences, start looking at the similarities if we're talking about a performance issue, Chris, I wouldn't be there. If your performance was substandard or it was somehow inhibited, Brian and I wouldn't even have taken it on. Know that we're here uh, for the long ball. We're here for the long fight. Uh, please use us. We'd we'd like to
0: we'd like to help in any way we can. No, yeah. but I
1: appreciate it. I most I more than likely will do.
0: <laughs> yeah, and if anyone I mean, out there listening too, please write in left of Greg at gmail or get a hold of us on a bunch of different social media. You can find all that. Out everything in episode details. And if you've got something that you've heard or know, Oh, Hey, there's this study out there, or there's this situation that came across. And I know some, it might be the one that helps where they can look at it. And like you said, this also seems like that case where, you know, just the, the research hasn't caught up to what's happening on the street. Right. You know, it's just, it's just not there where, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like anything we get. We we stuck in our ways until something comes along and has to really, really change it. And then we go, oh, wow, that was kind of stupid. You know, but it, that, that does take time. But I think because of technology, because of conversations like this and people being able to share that information easier now, it's kind of happening a little bit faster. Where maybe before they would have just told you to go pound sand and that, that's enough and, you know, you're never going to hear from again. So, <laughs> right. I'm um, just I, yeah. I, the final
2: thought uh, for me, I I just
0: can't abide as an emotor thinking
2: that there's some little boy or girl out there that has been tested and somebody says, well, you know, you have a color deficiency. So therefore you, there's nine jobs that you can't do. I, I mean, you know, we, we have to turn that around and go, how can we fix this? How can we change uh, this? So that little kid can and realize their dream and be a copper in the same district that you're working, Chris. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had that conversation as a child. I remember finishing the secondary school and having a careers chat and uh, I said, Oh, I'm cool. can I join the police. And the, the uh, careers advisor went, no. was <laughs> that? All right. Okay. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, but wow, same thank thing, you persisted thank you, right? and then, and then, yeah, no, that's, that's great. It takes people to kind of push through those barriers. And once we, they, they kind of fall over everyone goes, well, yeah, that was kind of dumb. I guess we won't do that again. And yeah, then we exactly do it in a different right. way, but it, it's constantly evolving. So I appreciate your time, Chris, man. Uh, thanks for coming uh, thank on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, it, was a, it was a good chat. Well, hopefully we'll have you back on again as an update and maybe something pops up, but we'd love to have you back on sometimes. And for, Oh, any time. Awesome. We really appreciate that, man. So everyone out there listening, oh, don't forget, kind of follow us on social media, hit the like and subscribe button, all that good stuff. If you enjoy it, share it with your friends, reach out to us if you have any questions or comments, and uh, don't forget that training changes behavior. Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you would like some more information about what we talked about today, you can head to the Left of Greg Patreon site where we've added some more information about what we discussed, as well as some examples of how you can practically apply some of the lessons learned. Please remember to tell your friends about the show and follow us on Facebook at HBPRA. Thanks again and be safe.